everyone, and welcome back to the Gods of Thrones podcast by Bald Move, or the officially unofficial podcast for all things HBO's Game of Thrones. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Anthony. And we are back for the second week promoing Gods of Thrones, getting everyone excited for Game of Thrones. Uh, we're going to be discussing a few topics from the our new book, our volume two of Gods of Thrones. There's already volume one we did last year. We're, we're gearing up for the release of volume two. Topics include the curious fact that all of Rickard Stark's grandchildren seem capable of warging. Uh, the the uh, fabulous and mysterious mythology and legend of Bran the Blessed, uh, an old uh, British myth, and how it might relate to our favorite Bran. And finally, Jack and Hagar, is he a genie? And does he live, look like Will Smith, actually? And, and, <laughs> and if so, could Will Smith play him in the reboot 20 years from now? Is he uh, the love child of Will Smith and a Smurf? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's a serious topic. It's actually a surprisingly interesting topic, and we'll give it the seriousness it deserves. And as always, if you like any of our discussions here on uh, uh, about this Gods of Thrones, just be aware there's two volumes worth of material that Anthony and I have written um, in the off season. We had we had so much time off since the last season of Game of Thrones in season seven. We decided, what the hell? We'll write two books. Why not uh, two? Why not? Yeah. What, what is better than one Aaron? Two. Uh, two. Two. Unless the thing is a bad thing, and neither of these books are bad things. So I actually think book two is, might be better than book one. What do you think? I think it's like arguing over who your children are best. <laughs> so do you, do you prefer your daughter's company or your son's? I'm putting my, you on my the record. Children, my children know I have preferences. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I see. I, I dodged that question by just having the one. <laughs> okay. So he can always be my favorite. He's also the worst. Um, okay. Oh, one other exciting thing is uh, one of the really, really stupendously good parts of this project is we were gracious enough to be able to, or not gracious enough, I don't know. I don't know the right word. We we're lucky enough to land the talents of Chase Stone, who's a noted fantasy illustrator. A lot of the illustrations from the official World of Ice and Fire uh, are his artwork, and it turns out he listens to our podcast, and he was kind of interested in helping us out on the project, and he, we've done six... Just amazing original pieces of artwork inspired by uh, Game of Thrones, and you can click on if you, if, if you click on the show notes, it'll take you to the project page for Volume Two, where you can see one of them on the cover, and you can navigate to Volume One and ooh and ah over that. And now you can get uh, some merch if you want T-shirts, if you want posters, if you want other products that have this fantastic art that would look good on any cubicle in any uh, office wall in any uh, den of geekery. Uh, regardless of whether you like Gods of Thrones or not, the artwork is legit and it's amazing. And it's cool. Check out godsofthrones.com to be taken to our merch store. You can also uh, buy uh, get, get links to buy the books there, too. So it's kind of your one-stop shop, godsofthrones.com. And now, we're going to, without further ado, we're going to get into the, the meaty meat of this year podcast. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm doing a uh, ad hoc update to the podcast here because there's been uh, some screwy stuff going on with our Amazon uh, pre-order for Gods of Thrones Volume 2. Now, longtime fans of Bald Move will know that this isn't our first dust-up with Amazon. Uh, so if you're familiar with that history, you can chalk this up to the latest round of Bezos Revenge. Uh <laughs> We had to actually pull it out of pre-order. Um, everyone that did pre-order should have gotten their money refunded, at least according to Amazon. And I'm working to get that resolved. I'm still 
uh, pretty sure, pretty certain. I was going to be 100% certain we'd meet the release date uh, until this happened, but I'm still feeling very hopeful by hitting the release date of August, or not August, April 9th, which is next week this time. Um, but we did have a little snafu, and I had to pull that. Sorry if you were one of the people that did uh, uh, support us and, and, and purchased a book on Amazon. Uh, we should get this uh, stuff resolved real quick. If you go to godsofthrones.com, as soon as it's released, it will be up there, or as soon as it's back into pre-order. And also, I'll try to keep people updated on Twitter, Facebook, and the usual channels. Uh, all right, without further ado, back to the podcast. All right, Anthony, like last week, I thought we could just bring a kind of a potpourri sort of uh fun topic selection from our new volume two of gods of thrones um i have a couple of topics here i thought maybe uh one we could start with the discussion um this is something that might be new information or a new thought to show show watchers only um but it's been something that's been discussed a lot amongst book readers for some time and that's the fact the curious fact that all of Rickard Stark's grandchildren seem capable of warging. Right. So yeah. the show seems to not just remove <laughs> direwolves uh-huh. <laughs> willy-nilly without explanation. Yeah. Uh, budget but, cuts. Yeah, right. Budget cuts. But they've also removed some really interesting character features. Yeah. And and, and we say, you know, it, it's 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 it's. It's not commonly heard to refer to the Stark children as Rickard Stark's grandchildren, but in an effort to be precise, that's what I use because, as we found out last season, and we've long suspected from reading the books, that Jon Snow is not actually uh, Ned Stark's son. He is Ned what? Stark's nephew. That's Wait, right. What? That's right. <laughs> He's not even. Apparently, his name's Aegon too. If you, oh, if you really want to get Aaron, it, you've uh, ruined this this for me. <laughs> A mind blower, but uh, so so we said Rickard Stark's grandchildren just to as an effort to be precise and not to have anybody. Mew, John's actually not. Ri- um, <laughs> he's still a Stark. He's also a Targaryen, but he's not Ned Stark's son. He's Rickard Stark's grandchildren. They all got direwolves, and they all um, seem capable of some some ability to do warging or even green seeing. So let's let's talk let's talk about these guys from like. Most significant evidence for warging to least significant. So Bran, um, Bran would be the most significant. I mean, he's the most Br- talented green seer. Seer. He he wargs in and out of creatures most often. Right. Is is uh, green green scenester? Is that like the hip? Is that the hipster goth version of? Uh... Uh, of a scenester in in <laughs> well, they wear all black. We're talking, they wear yeah, a lot we're talking of about lots the, of green, the green lots new of twigs, deal. lots of vines, uh, lots of still dark eyeshadow right. and you know pallid complexions. But yeah, I mean he's yeah he's he's we don't need to argue about uh, him being a warg. Uh, I think second in evidence is Jon Snow. Um, there's a lot of evidence in the books, especially that show that John has a connection with ghosts that's very close to, you know, to, to like brand levels of warging. Uh, there's a sin uh, when he's off with Corrin Halfhand and the frost fangs, uh, he gets a dream where it's pretty obvious that he's actually seeing events through ghost as he's hunting and ghost is up in this mountain pass and he sees this huge wildling army amassed. And when John wakes up, he kind of sheepishly tells his fellow black brothers, Hey, I had this weird, dream and the these experienced rangers immediately understand that he's just had some kind of wolf dream 
uh, and he's been able to get valuable intelligence through the eyes of his wolf. And yeah. the the idea here is that beyond the wall, to be a skin changer is recognizable. This is something that that people would know. This is a category people are not. They don't just assign to le- a legend. Right. So they they and, are able to recognize John for what he is, but he's you know having grown up in Winterfell, he just doesn't have that category to work with. Or, right, he doesn't that know that that's a thing, but the Rangers do. And significantly later in the series, um, he encounters a unquestionable skin changer. Guy's name's like Veramir. Is it Veramir? Veramir si- Six Skins. Six Skins, because he's changed into six different skins, and he immediately recognizes. He he first asserts that a skin changer can can recognize another one kind of on site, like a Highlander kind of. Like there's a Highlander right, buzz about right. them, uh, and he 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 uh, clocks Jon Snow as a warg, um, and you know it's funny because there's a lot of people that thought because in the book series especially there's they they definitely talk about this in the show too, when someone gets resurrected there's always a piece of their soul or something something that makes them distinct and special that's that's left behind and the, the more they get resurrected like extreme examples um the lightning lord beric dondarian he talks about himself as being kind of like a thin shadow of what he used to be right and it's like well that's no good for our main protagonist we don't want a protagonist that's like a half man and they a lot of people suspected that john was going to emergency warg his consciousness into ghost while he was dead his body would be resurrected through some kind of zombie Lord of Light machinations, and then his soul would be returned intact to him when he remerges from from ghost consciousness. That's kind of like that theory has been referred to as the the ghost as refrigerator hypothesis, right? Yeah, because it puts Jon Snow in in cold storage and keeps him fresh and and non freezer burned. So, uh, so Jon's most likely a warg, certainly in the books. Um, Let's talk about Arya. Uh, Arya. Okay, let's go with Arya. What's what's the uh, canonical Arya evidence for? So Arya also has wolf dreams, and she even continues to have her link with Nymeria while she's in Essos. She's in Bravos, and uh, she. So, so in other words, the connection, the astral projection, the spiritual project, projection, whatever you want to say. She can she can enter Nymeria, uh, even across the across the, the the sea, and she's able to see through Nymeria's eyes, and of course this is the famous origin of Lady Stoneheart, which of course is also not in the show. Um, in addition to that, uh, so as she- a, a, a elaborate, Nymeria actually. Comes across the corpse of of uh, Catelyn Stark because this is pretty metal, right. and and grabs her skull in its jaws and drags it out of the the, the Trident River, um, where yeah. it's promptly discovered by the Brotherhood Without Banners and the rest is history. Yeah, yeah, and so th- there's there's I mean it's it's pretty clear that Arya is able to project into Nymeria, but in addition to that, when she is. Um, she's blind in the house of black and white. Mm-hmm. She is able, she's blinded basically. And she's able to see through a cat, the eyes of a cat who's in the courtyard. 
So she's not just able to see through the eyes of her wolf, but she's able to see through other animals. Although it, it, you don't get the sense that she can't. She she has de- has this talent developed to any great ability, you know, any great extent. Right. Now, the, the the really interesting thing is, is this is one of the kind of war connections that's at least a little bit hinted, kind of sorted by the show, because most people thought that we'd never hear from Namiri again. Like, once the Lady Stoneheart connection wasn't made, it's like, when would she show up? But she did show up last season um, as a character kind of grace moment to show that Ari, how much Ari has changed. Um and, and and reflecting Nymeria's change. Like, Nymeria mm-hmm. no more wants to go back to be Arya's pet in Winterfell than Arya would want to go back to be, you know, Ned's little girl doing Needlepoint. She's right. she's untamed and, and fierce and wild, just like Arya is. But, you know, if you look at the trailer, there's a lot of... It di- looks like there's evidence of big wolves running around some of these battlefields. Is it possible that Nymeria will... If not be Arya's pet, be an ally in some of these battles. Well, um, I still go back to this idea that I think that the Double Ds are are very aware that the fans want more direwolves. Yes, and I think maybe the 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 budget, the CGI budget, is is kind of a smokescreen. I think that if you can if you can kind of if you can push the direwolves out of the screen for a couple seasons, for for uh-huh. the most part, then they can show up as these hulking creatures as big as a horse uh-huh. in 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 the, this final go around, and it's sort of like this thrill for the viewer. Haven't seen these wolves for a while, and look how much they've grown. Uh, I think that that could be something of a reveal. Yeah, definitely pumps up interest you get the you get people desperate for dire wolves and then you know it's so much the sweeter when you finally get them and they're a pivotal part so we'll see uh let's talk about rob so rob in the books is interesting because he's this very young green military commander and and fighter he's a, he's a very young boy but he's able to out fox and out wily the very wily and foxy uh to be honest uh, Tywin Lannister right and not just once but several times and one of his one of his key uh, accomplishments is getting Tywin to be unaware that his the bulk of his forces has crossed over into the Westerlands um, until it's till it's too late because Tywin has this very impressive military fortification called the Golden Tooth Mm -hmm. that's this little watchtower that oversees all the approaches that a large army could take right but Rob that it, there's no way Rob is going to bring his army over without us being able to see it happen. Exactly, which will, you know, they're, 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 that leaves out the element of surprise. Rob is able to discover this goat path that's just wide enough for a man on horse to to traverse this pass and, and, and bypass the gold tooth. Um, and there's POV p- points in the, the books where they ascribe, it says that uh, the Grey Wind showed Rob this path. Mm-hmm. Now, there's two ways this could go down. It could go this elaborate Lassie-style pantomime, pantomime where, you know, Grey Wind comes up to Rob and starts barking. <laughs> what is it, boy? What is it? There's, there's, a, there's a goat's path in, 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 the, in the Westerland Mountains, uh, or he could just be unconsciously warging and seeing it and maybe sees it as a dream, maybe he sees it as a hunch, maybe he sees yeah. it as a suspicion. But 
that 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 gray wind is his like ace in the hole his 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 uh military intelligence that no one else has yeah and with rob you kind of have a sense that even he he's not fully asleep but he may be just like in a trance ha- you know sort of half awake studying the, the you know all of the battle pieces yeah and it could be that he is able to Sort of use Greywind as intel, even if he's not dreaming. Yeah, his his wife in the book says that uh, she's worried about him because he spends nights just staring catatonically over his battle maps, and we know that when when Bran is warging in uh, you know a, a, a summer, that he kind of looks like he's catatonic or he's unresponsive. He can't be roused from the sleep. So there's another little evidence that, that John's doing some, some warging, some green seeing, which brings us to Rickon. Uh, Rickon has got the ricketiest evidence of warging in the books. Essentially. Um, he's kind of warging by proxy because when Bran is stuck in Winterfell after he's been paralyzed and he's with Master Lewin, uh, he gets this very disturbing dream about his father returning to the crypts of Winterfell, which mm-hmm. is his first clue that his father's dead. Uh, Rickon gets that same dream, and in fact, we find that he is exploring the catacombs of Winterfell with uh, his dog, Shaggy Dog. Yeah. Um, so there's this hint that like he has getting some of the same prophetic dreams that his brother gets uh shaggy dog shows a lot of agitation when 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 rickon's agitated that there is this kind of and it, you got to keep in mind that that rickon's very small in the books yeah the other thing with rickon is that there's this repeated observation in the books that he's almost like a feral child he's wild he's a why he's as wild as shaggy dog we hear that over and over and over yeah and what ends up happening is rickon Really, you can't trust Shaggy Dog. I mean, Shaggy Dog mm-hmm. could just maul you at any moment. Yeah. And it's almost as if in, instead of uh, Rick and learning to control Shaggy Dog, mm-hmm. that Shaggy Dog is, has really influenced uh, Rickon's, I don't know, civility. Right. And that, that makes sense. If you had, like, imagine you had a three-year-old child... And they had the magical ability to project their 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 mind into a wolf right. and vice versa. Uh, talk about the terrible twos. Uh, you'd have the wolfsome threes, and it would be no good. It'd be no good at all. <laughs> um, so, but it, it's it's weak. And in the show, uh, the the only character development Rick and makes past you know getting kidnapped by Theon is his inability to run zigzag. Uh, leading to his untimely death. So there's th- this is not a thing in the show, pro- uh, but it's definitely a thing in the books, and that leads us to the weakest warg in the Stark family, Sansa Stark. Well, yeah, with Sansa, it's interesting to me because <clears throat> we're given all of these hints about the Stark children, mm-hmm. and you get the sense that, you know, in, in book one at least, all of Ned Stark's children on the surface of it look like they have some kind of spiritual connection with these wolves mm-hmm. and and it's over and over repeated and so you get the sense that Sansa probably also has a connection but of course we know that Lady is slaughtered by Ned right um, and uh, you know in, in the show it's sort of like Sansa's just kind of weeping because her pet died uh-huh. but I think 
in reading the books, you do get this sense that that this is this is actually quite a loss for Sansa. Yeah. Um, it, it's not just like you know, poor girl with her her pet's dead. There's like a part of her that dies with the wolf. If you've already bought in on the other Stark children, right? Right. And made yeah. the assumption that Stanza, if she could develop this, would have the same kind of projection that the other kids have had. Of course, the wolf dies, and so we right. never get to see Sansa develop. Yeah, I know it's Sansa. So we never get to see Sansa develop the uh, her, her her warging abilities. And it's it's the wolf doesn't just die not to slaughter by Ned's hand, but really the reason the lady dies is because Sansa betrays her own pack. So it's kind of like that thematic uh-huh. like betrayal that might also like she she betrayed her in inner starkness and the mm-hmm. sigil of the family, and that's what led to her connection being cut off. But right. there's been some enterprising theorieteers that have said that. Sansa does have mastery of of wolves and dogs, and it's in the form of her beguiling and bewitching uh, Sandor. Oh, the that, you know that he he kind of is her sword and shield for um, a, a lot of part of her being vulnerable in King's Landing, and you know she's got this way of singing that kind of um, makes him feel at peace or gives him some kind of. Uh, uh, a good emotional feelings uh, from from his fellow humans. I like I said, I don't I don't know if that's something that George is trying to hint at thematically, um, or it's actually intended to show her being like like maybe that her unconscious warging ability or undeveloped, untrained warging ability allows her to get insights into the minds of men and women, which allows her to get the better of uh, Littlefinger in the end. I, I I don't know, but it also makes sense if she can't warg at all. It's because she lost her training, her warg training dummy at a very young age, and as uh, kind of as a result of her own shitty actions. That's right. That's right. I mean, I don't know. I don't really buy that theory as as well, simply because right. I think that there is some sort of zoomorphic uh, literary agency happening here. And it's the fact that that the hound is Jeffrey's dog, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Joffrey, sorry, Joffrey's dog. And uh, and Sansa is she's a little she's like a little caged bird that's that's what mm-hmm. the hound keeps saying he calls mm-hmm. her little bird or whatever mm-hmm. and uh and so you've got these i guess you've got these archetypal ideas of of what those things will look like and then of course martin loves to subvert these he likes to subvert the the archetypes so i don't know if 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 sandor ever becomes sansa's dog Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that's really. I think he's, he, he's he's finding his humanity, and part of finding his humanity is, is liberating, uh, liberating the Stark girls. So let's take a step back and say, what could all this mean? I mean, on one level, it's just Martin giving these brothers and sisters like the Umbrella Academy level of. Uh, like 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 abilities and they're kind of coming together in a fantastic four kind of way and maybe they'll each have their little time to shine in the in the the wars to come um or it could just be like a literary like device that's kind of bringing all these brothers and sisters together even though they're separated by vast distances and well one thing that the books do that the the show doesn't is that in the books maester lewin is actually half chimpanzee (laughs) 
Right, right, <laughs> right. As a result of some of uh, Ned's less uh, less savory experimentation, sure, sure. <laughs> right. Uh, or maybe it's Cat. She's into blood magic and f- fucking with genetics. Who knows? Uh, the Southern ladies, you, ca- you can't trust them. Yeah, no, I think I think that I, there's a, there's a sense there's a sense here that the Starks have the blood of the first men running in their veins, mm-hmm. and the and Martin is really playing with this idea of supernatural heritage like mm-hmm. you ha- you've inherited something in your blood that's going to uh, if you if you're able to de- you know develop the talent mm-hmm. then it's going to allow you to ride a dragon or work into a tree or you know mm-hmm. and uh, but but you get the sense that after centuries of the maesters schooling people in in sort of a proto modernity that a lot of this has been lost in westeros a lot a lot of right. this idea th- these ideas that uh that you can use magic as a weapon these are all fairy tales um so kind of a connection since we're on the the Starks here there's another theory we discussed because a lot of these um a lot of this stuff is from a a chapter where we're talking about um you know weirwood type stuff brand brand being weird and and yeah. uh wizards and some of this other kind of a, like northern cleanup religion and culture tasks that we've we've got we've left ourselves from volume one uh, and you talk about Bran's potential connection with this myth- mythological figure from British lore, Bran the Blessed. Uh, now, if- this is something I found. I, I totally had no idea about this before we started writing. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember finding this and texting you and saying, did you know that Bran means crow in Welsh? Um, and I said, no, I- <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> I had no idea either. So, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, in, in the show, it's he becomes a three-eyed raven, but in 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 the in the books, it's it's uh, uh, Brendan Rivers is the three-eyed crow, which mm-hmm. means that he's sort of the 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 master puppeteer mm-hmm. in the north, right? He, he's the master green seer. So it could be that that Martin is getting this this connection between Bran and Crows from this famous myth mythology in in British and Welsh lore. And um this goes back to uh a, a, a myth called Bran the Blessed. And I'll give you the 30-second version of of the story. So there's okay. this Bran and he's a giant, and he's the king of the Englands, the the, the Ings, the, <laughs> the, the Englands. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So he's the king of England, and he he's a giant, and he sees a boat coming from far away because he can see very very far, and it's the king of Ireland who uh, who come who's coming to treat with the Ings, mm-hmm. and uh, so anyway. They're they're hanging out, they're having a great time, and Bran says, "Here, I'll I'll, I'll let you marry my sister Branwen, and we'll make this a uh, a family affair, and we'll have this great strong treaty." And so they they're having this thing in an outdoor tent because no building can contain Bran the Blessed. And then Evnissen comes by, and Evnissen is like a trickster character, but he's he's really deranged. Mm-hmm. 
And he's the brother of Bran and Branwen, and he realizes that no one's consulted him on this treaty. And moreover, no one's consulted him on the giving of his sister in marriage. And so what, he's, what he decides to do is he decides to mutilate the horses of the, the Irish. And, and the, the original text is really disgusting. It talks about the horses being cut to the bone and their ears and eyelids are taken off and just really gross stuff. PETA would not approve. PETA would definitely not approve. And the Irish get all ticked off and they're going to leave. And uh, then... You fucked our horses, mate. Yeah, that's you right. You fucked up the horses. <laughs> that's right. They're really, they're really <laughs> been out of shape about this. And uh, so Bran says, don't leave, don't leave. I'll, I'll give you my resurrection cauldron. And it's the first time we find out that he's got a resurrection he has, cauldron. He has, yeah. he has one of these. Okay. <laughs> so you, the, the basic idea is a big pot. And if you throw a dead body in it, then the next day the, the, the person will be alive again. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of cut to cut to the end here. Basically, the 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 English and the, and the and the Irish go to war, and um, unfortunately, Bran is killed in the war. He's a, he's not actually killed; he's crippled. All right. So wink and a nod. We got Bran in Game of Thrones. He's cri- crippled. He gets uh-huh. shot with a poison arrow in his ankle, and Bran's idea is: Look, you got to get me back to the Tower of London. Which hasn't been built yet, and um, <laughs> you've got you've got to get me back there. So just just cut off my head and carry my head back. So the rest of his body's dead, but he's this basically this talking head that they bring back. And the legend has it is that Bran's head is buried beneath the Tower of London, facing toward France, so and you can it, keep an eye on him. Yeah, warding off sort of French invaders. And uh, could be that there's some some connection between this mythology and the the ravens that are kept in the in the Tower of London, because there's an unrelated or possibly distantly related mythology that there's these ro- there's these crows that live in the Tower of London, and if they ever leave the tower, then England right. will fall. Right. So yeah, the Raven Master is supposed to keep them, and the, these if you ever visit, that you can see these ravens. They all have names, and there's like I don't know six or seven of them. But the idea here is that there's a superstition that that if ever these ravens were to leave the tower, then uh, then England would would just crumble to the ground. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like there's also some other kind of motifs there, like uh, that's very similar to like a Stark must always be in Winterfell. Right. Uh, I mean, well, what what if there's not? Um, you know the the idea that this guy's got far reaching vision and he can kind of like which is the same as being able to see into the future if you can see further than anyone else around right. you then you can see things coming towards you it's essentially like predicting the future and i'm intrigued by this resurrection cauldron uh is like because that's the one because so far this stuff is just basically descriptive theories like all oh, these match up but like yeah is it possible that bran is going to use some kind of freaky deaky tree magic to reverse uh, some sort of mortal outcome in the wars to come. Right. Well, we know that Martin likes to merge these mythologies and, like, mm-hmm. hint toward them without necessarily following them like a script. Mm-hmm. But notice notice a few connections here. So Bran is – his body doesn't function in the mm-hmm. way that, that, that he wants it to function, you know, like a mm-hmm. knight's body would function. Uh, but – so he's basically this this mind. 
He's this super duper genius weirwood connected mind. Mm-hmm. And he's underground. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that Bran, the Blessed, is the, just this basic head protecting England beneath the ground, maybe Bran is functioning in that way. But in addition to that, Bran sometimes wargs himself into a giant, which is Hordor, mm-hmm. right? Oh, right, right. And if you want if you want a third, because, of course, we always do this, these things in threes, right? Rules um, of three, yeah. Uh, Bran, we have the sense that that talented green singers, uh, green seers, can can get themselves a second life when they die. Mm. So so uh, Martin is playing with resurrection in this case because once Bran dies, he can kind of resurrect himself by projecting his life force into the an eternal weirwood tree. Because that's a point that I, I don't think is made in the shows, but it's made in the books, is that weirwoods are sort of, Im- or not sort of, they are immortal creatures. Yeah, like, if they are uh, not cut down or burned, they will yeah. live forever. They're like vampire immortal. <laughs> in right. absence of someone cutting cutting their heads off <laughs> or whatever, that they're right. going to live forever. Uh, their wood is, is impervious to rot, etc. So, like, I think that's interesting that... I could see I could see an end game where Bran merges with the Heart Tree in in Winterfell, the Godswood in Winterfell, because the one that like it seems like the where the the Three Eyed Raven was that's the kind of canonical resting place for all these old Green Singers. Yeah. Um. And Brandon is like in in uh, the Brendan uh, Rivers is in the process of the books of merging with those trees, like a decomposed corpse with roots growing out of his eye sockets and all kinds of freaky shit. Um, but I could see Rand, Brand kind of doing the same thing with the the heart tree of Winterfell, which would, you know, be not too far removed from being buried under a tower where well, you could be eternally vigilant. Well, in addition vigilant. to that, I think that I mean I think you could make a case, and and people probably have made this case before, that the old gods are simply ancient green seers mm-hmm. that right. have that have taken for themselves a second life in the Weirwood Network. Right. So that's where these things come from. Instead of projecting yourself into a bird like Varamir Sixkins, a bird's just going to live for another couple years. Yeah. If you are talented enough to project yourself into the Weirwood Network, you essentially become one of the old gods. Mm-hmm. Do you think – because I also wonder sometimes if – um there's a Stark must always be in Winterfell is a corruption of the original phrase, which is Stark is always in Winterfell uh. because there's some ancient Stark that happens to embody that particular winter uh, weirwood or into since that there's been green seers that are Starks in the past, which we pretty much are certain of that they would be able to kind of go throughout the weirwood network like any other green singer that's died would. So I think there's some interesting perhaps things that George could play with in the books Clearly, that we're not going to get any of this. It's if, or if it is, it's going to be a very stripped down version in the show. Um, but uh, it's uh, an interesting, another interesting thing where George has taken local mythology and religion and switched around the details and used it to inspire inspire him. That's right. That's right. Uh, finally, I really was taken with one of your theories in the second book when we talk about the religion of the faceless men, which, you know, obviously is something we wanted to get to. 
you made a pretty compelling point that Jack and Hagar is a literary allusion to a genie or a djinn. Oh, yeah, this is one of of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. Okay, so this, you you deserve all credit for this because I did not know about uh, Search for Ice and Fire before we started this project. Oh, yeah. So Search for Ice and Fire is is a great, it's a great website that basically you can do a search for any word in any of the any of martin's ice and fire canon right yeah if it's actually if you go to search of ice and fire.com it takes you there and it's just as anthony says it's got every it's got full text of all of the books and the hedge knight series and short stories and all that stuff and you can just search a phrase or a word and you can see how many times it appears and in context where it appears in this right so really this great. has been really invaluable f- for us when we're, when we were writing these two volumes because if ever you you wonder like ah, i wonder if ever did, did, i wonder if this ever pops up this word ever pops up somewhere else so i'm reading I, i'm reading the through this chapter on Arya's encounter with um help me on the the guy's name again uh, Jack and Hagar. Jack and, yeah, Jack, Jack and. and Hagar. And I'm thinking, I wonder if she, because he he gives her three names to offer to the Red God. So that's all that 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 kind of piqued my interest. Gets she gets wishes three. She get wish she gets wishes three, and I think, oh man, this is this is. I wonder if this is a literary illusion. Uh-huh. So I I did a search on a, a search for ice and fire for polishing because I thought what would what would be the key element for if you were if you wanted to hat tip to the Aladdin story, yeah yeah yeah. Well, when how does the genie pol- uh, 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 pop out? Yeah, Aladdin Aladdin's has, rubbing the lamp and... has to polish the lamp, right? So <clears throat> it just before just before this happens. Martin uses this word to polish, and he doesn't use it very often. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically what happens is Arya is thinking about the people she wants to kill, and she's coming up with her kill list, and she's re- reciting it like a prayer uh, each night. Mm-hmm. And Martin says she polished her hates just like Gen- Gendry polished his armor or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, very in the very next uh chapter what ha- what happens? After she's been polishing her hates, this guy pops up, Jack and Hagar, and he basically befriends her. Mm-hmm. And uh in if you go back to you know Arabic, the the, the genie comes from jinn and jinn means uh is, is kind of a fire creature. Right. Revealed in fire. If you remember how she meets uh, Jack and Hagar, he's, you know, he's about to be burned alive. And, uh, yeah, and then yeah. eventually the what she most wants in the world is for these people to die. And then, of course, what does Jack and offer her? He offers her three of her heart's desires. And what does every kid do with the genie what, you know, when, they're, when they're imagining this? You got to try to figure out a way to get those uh, more wishes. You, you got to you you get two wishes, and then that third wish, you're going to try to get more out of it. And that's exactly right. what Arya does with Jacken. Uh-huh. She tricks the genie into giving her more wishes, and, and he ends up not just killing three people for her. 
he kills a lot of people for her and she's able to liberate herself. So I thought that was interesting. It's it's one of these things where there's a lot of little clues if you're reading the books. Mm-hmm. Uh but and probably just Martin having fun. I don't know if it if this has any predictive value, but it was that it was that uh that key phrase that she p- was polishing her hates. So like mm-hmm. her, her her kill list prayer functioned kind of like Aladdin's magic lamp. Right, and I think it's pretty. It, it's cool, and it's another instance of like what we've seen again and again in this project of like Martin using. So, like, is it a you know is this something that's proven or like absolutely no? It does appear that this is something that Martin's doing for at least fun, but also like by imbuing his fake world with all these traditions and elements of mythology from our real one, it does li- lend that kind of verisimilitude. Is that how you say that word? That sounds uh, good to me, man. It's it's how you grant that world that appearance of being lifelike. Yes. Um, because like you could just authentically inhabit the world for thousands of years and like run the simulation and see what kind of weird stuff pops up out of it. Or you could just take the stuff that's already come out of thousands of years of iterations from a real world, you know, obscure it, and it, it makes it feel lived in automatically. And I, that's, that's re- one of the prime reasons Game of Thrones is so cool. Yeah, and look, even if even if the, the theory doesn't hold water, I, I mean, it certainly made me enjoy that that particular portion of the text uh, even more. It, it, just because there were so many little clues that would connect those theories, um, you know, who knows if you ever sat Martin down and said, "Hey, did, what are you meaning to do this?" Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, maybe it's just th- these stories are so embedded in the Western psyche that we can't help but see them there. So if you have thought any of these topics we talked about today or any of the topics we've discussed in the last eight podcasts, essentially, that are about this 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 uh, examination of religions and culture and the fusions that go into it of, of A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, uh, that is our volume one and two of Gods of Thrones, you can find out more information if you go to godsofthrones.com. Uh, it has links to purchase our book on Amazon, both as a physical copy as well as a, a digital uh, ebook format. As and you can also get merch that's got the fantastic art that we commissioned from Chase Stone on it. Um, not just the cover arts, but the interior art that he did as well. And there's some really tasty stuff that he did for this volume. Man, I don't know what my favorite artwork is because, like, I really like I really like Varys as a mermaid. That's pretty great, man. Ferris is a mermaid. It's pretty good. We, we do a couple of fan theory posters. If you want poster, but, see a poster size, uh, a Bruce Bolton as a as a vampire. Yeah, but but Aegon coming to the uh, Dragonstone Sept to to ask for a blessing before he begins his conquest of Westeros. I think if I was going to get one poster, it would be the Cleeking. <laughs> Oh really? Okay. All right. Well, because because Chase is a master when it comes to light, mm. and I think that his use of of light in that actually there is light streaming through a series of of uh, horn blowers, the trumpeters, yes, the tr- trumpeteers, yes, and uh, I I just thought that was that was very well done. 
Uh, okay, so we do have some feedback. Um, a lot of people are excited about got, uh, Game of Thrones coming back in just a few weeks. Uh, we're excited about that. We have. I took some of the questions. We get. We're getting a lot of questions. That are going to be answered on our preview podcast. That's for this season eight uh, that starts next week. Uh, but I thought some of them had some interesting connections to. Uh, the religion and culture stuff the, that's kind of and then the prophetic and you know the the lore kind of stuff that's more our our ballywick and um, things that Jim because he's not a book reader is less interested in so I thought maybe we could consider them for ourselves Anthony let's do it of course Game of Thrones at baldmove.com is where you send feedback you can also send feedback to forums or you can post feedback to forums.baldmove.com there's various topical threads in the Game of Thrones section of our forum. Uh, that's where you send it in. Let's get right to it. First up is Bridget D. This is not a question about cult, but it's it's an important one that I know a lot of people have. Uh, and it's I'm not sure if you're able to answer this question, but I know you guys have used HBO Go to watch Game of Thrones in the past. Did episodes premiere the same day and time as they would on TV? I'm debating if I need to subscribe to HBO again or just use HBO Go. I will say that uh, that last year Jim and I used uh, HBO Go to do all of our uh, live watch coverage and stuff like that and and our experience that the episodes actually posted about five minutes before like if like if yep. uh, game of thrones would post at n- nine o'clock or air at nine o'clock they would be posted at eight fifty five. um so and then and some of the later i think that's been true of all the seasons but some of the earlier seasons and hbo go wasn't as as big of a thing that sometimes there would be like crashes because the bandwidth would be so crazy that the first week or two there'd be issues with it coming out and i don't know like there's 100 million people supposedly watching this last season um if there's 500 million and they're all using hbo go maybe that'll happen again but uh <laughs> uh in general yes you can watch it you don't have to wait till the next morning or something stupid like that you can watch it along with everybody else in real time okay Moving on, Jamie M. has a a history question. Are we sure that dragons are what, in fact, brings magic into the world? Uh, Mm. Direwolves made a comeback before dragons did. Is it possible that dragon wolves are the real bringer of magic or that direwolves are a prerequisite for dragons to exist in the world? Kind of a crouching Mm. uh, direwolf hidden dragon phenomenon. (laughs) This this would reinforce the theme of John's parents and also John plus Danny. Danny did have to do her sacrifice. uh, Only death pays for life thing to bring the dragons about. But maybe coexisting in a time when the wolves are back is what's needed, too. Yeah. Uh, well, here's how I would answer that. So, yeah. yes, dragons are enhances magic. We we know that magic does exist in the worlds before the dragons are hatched again. It's just weaker. Mm. We also know that direwolves have always existed as long as there have been Starks. Um, there have always been direwolves in Winterfell. At least stone ones and ones on flags. Well, and but they, you know, you get the sense that in the in the true north beyond the wall. Oh yeah, there's direwolves all around. So um, so the fact that they return to, you know, south of the wall is is that sort of a um, is it a portent for what's to come? That's how Catelyn interprets it. Uh, she she interprets the event of the stag, uh, you know, having its horn or antler, sorry, not horn, antlers yeah. uh, broken off in the neck of the, the dire wolf mother as this religious symbol. 
uh, of of a war to come. And that's how she interprets it. Uh, could it be that that actually having a direwolf in proximity to Winterfell and the Starks compounds the magic? I don't know. I'm not sure. It's I mean, tough, especially when we talk about any kind of prophecy, because I, you know, I'm I'm most steeped in like Judeo Christian lore, and if you look at like Revelations, there's all kinds of things that happens before. You know Armageddon, like the moon turns in the turns in the blood, and the seas boil and empty their dead, and uh, all this stuff happens. And like, is, are those like so? Like, is that what brings about Armageddon, or are these signs that pretend to it? Like, mm-hmm. are the dire wolves bringing the dragon, or are they like the heralds of the dragon? Or uh, it's it, it's it's very tough. It's very tough because we don't know. I mean, it's it's, it's magic. So pinning down a, a causality type of relationship is tough. And Martin likes to play with this kind of stuff because, sure, um, you know, apocalyptic literature likes dragons, likes likes to sort of bring dragons to the front or or you know fell beasts or whatnot. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, there's always some sort of indication of some sign in heaven if something's if something massive is about to happen, which is exactly what what um, Martin does in book two with with mm-hmm. the the comet, right? Yep. Yep. So yeah, it could be that that these monsters are kind of like Daniel's four beasts that that emerge from the ocean, right? Uh, uh, who knows? So moving on, we have a question from J Edge. Several questions actually. Uh, after seeing the trailer, why would the Night King even go to Winterfell and fight this massive army first? Couldn't he just skirt along the coast, bring winter everywhere, then turn the rest of the continent on Winterfell? I hope they explain this with the Night King's connection to Bran. I'm not uh, – Bran is the Night King kind of guy, just someone who thinks Bran has something to do with him. Hmm. What do you think about that? I think that the Night King's goal is not to turn the thermostat down on Win- Westeros. The Night King's goal is to turn all of the world of men into the world of the dead. And you could make a pretty – on the face of it, compelling argument saying that that's his that he's following his prime directive. Like this is a huge mass of humanity that he could turn into his own uh, army. He's flush with his victory at the wall and mm-hmm. and turning a dragon, and he's cocksure and he's full of himself. And plus, he's just obeying his his drive to exterminate exterminate all mankind. So. I, why would he duck that battle? Like, when is it going to be a better time for him to turn those living people dead? Right. And if if indeed he... Look, what does Windowfell give you? Well, if you can sack it, then you get 10,000 more, you know, foot soldiers for your army right. of the dead, right? Right. Plus, who knows? Like, if you can get, like... You you can plunder the crypts for uh, old ancient <laughs> dead Stark kings, then yeah. then you, you're getting you're getting supercharged army. Yeah. Um, I, I, I there might be something to this connection to Bran. Like if the Night King correctly identifies Bran as his greatest threat, and you know his other greatest threats are Jon Snow and Danny there too. You know you want to so the longer the thing goes on, both sides get stronger because the both sides will have a chance to unite. Uh, the Night King will have a chance to get more dead people. Like, so it's like, why, why would you ever want to, to duck that fight and, and consolidate your power? I mean, that's what the Night King has been doing for seven seasons. So I, I don't, I, I don't find it. 
I don't find it as mysterious as Jay Edge, and maybe some of those reasons will, you'll find compelling. Uh, he also wonders, think we'll finally see Howland Reed come uh, center stage to help Bran and Sam confirm John's parentage? Parentage? If Mira tells him what's coming, I think I'd head to Winterfell too. Um, well, I'd be headed for the Summer Isles, but if I was Howland Reed, that's what I'd do. Um, so Mira got sent away from Bran, presumably returned to her father. I don't hold out much hope for Howland to show up uh, this late into the season, uh, especially since Bran can just tell John. And yeah. why would John? What's what's John's play here? Is he going to Luke Skywalker? No, that can't be true. It's impossible. Like, why would he do that? Right. No, the double D's are in the business of 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 creating less characters than there are in the books. Yes. And, and I mean, they're in the, they're in the business of let's burn down final... half of King's Landing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's just let's just wipe everyone that you think might be important off the board, except for Cersei. Um, Right. Yeah. No. I, and and it's the final season, so even more of that's going to be happening. I although think. we do we we are going to meet a new character uh, related to the second sons, right? That's true. Possibly. Yeah. They do. They do that. That the the golden boy in the golden armor. That's not Jamie Lannister on the ships. You're right. You're, so you're, this you're is right. This is sort of their way of bringing the Essos plot to Westeros. Yeah, or at least some kind of wink, wink, nod to that. Um, but yeah, I I just think it's 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 too late for Howland. They've already got a mechanism that will br- you know bring John in yeah. onto the the story that we're all following. Um, so yeah, um, in the podcast episode on the episode spoils of war, Aaron mentions food being very important for the wars to come. I'm going to freak out if they haven't gotten some food from Essos or something to feed everybody that we see in Winterfell in the trailer. I think you're probably setting yourself up for disappointment because if there's one thing that the double d's have shown themselves as being really uninterested in thinking about in the last several seasons it's logistics <laughs> um yeah you know maybe they'll spend 15 minutes of john and sansa and bran and Arya trying to figure out how we're going to feed all these people where are we going to get the bread where are we going to get the the protein where are we going to get the calories and carbohydrates but I doubt it. Or, okay, well, all right. Let or me they'll get, mention, let me hey, there's a, thousand, there's a thousand wagons coming from Bearfuck Island, <laughs> and it's going to give us a, just enough to get through this two-week siege, and that'll be it. It'll be a round number of wagons. It'll it'll free from some place that, oh, that sounds right, but you don't really know about Yeah. So, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's think about this. The Double Ds are, are basically creating the biggest battle scene ever put to ever put to a screen right mm-hmm. the battle of winterfell is going to be that big cinematic history being cinematic said. history that's right so <clears throat> seems to me like there's been a lot of thought and attention put to this particular event um you could you know there could be mention of the 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 special stores at Winterfell, the, you know, the, the Winterfell is famously able to use its what is it, volcanic Gre- they got, steam. They got, they got all the latest inventions that eight thousand years ago, Brand the Builder could could invent. Yeah. Uh, he's it's got it's got greenhouse gla- uh-huh. glass. It's got geothermal heating. It's got indoor outdoor dragons, probably right, in, in providing the the the. The, the geothermal heating. It's it's got it's it's great. It's got it all. So the other thing is that we know that Dothraki like to uh 
I say Dothraki because I heard Martin say Dothraki. I, I, I think I'm rubbing off on you, is what it is. Like I, <laughs> no. my thick, stupid tongue is is rubbing <laughs> off on you. No, I watched an interview with Martin, and he said I heard him say Brienne. Yeah, instead of Brienne, and he also says instead of Dothraki, he says Dothrak eye, like like your like the eye in your eye socket. He's not. All, um, he's also really not sure about how to spell Grumpkins. So this is maybe one of those times where like Lucas says laser sword. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, the the Doth uh, Dothrak eye like to eat horse flesh, like that's their preferred meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I mean, you, you could imagine that all of these soldiers coming north, uh, that if if the food runs out, you just you just butcher the horses. Peta also not happy about that. No, not happy. Not happy. Uh, finally, they say if the Night's King is destroyed along with the forces of Winter, this would mean the Night's Watch could also be disbanded. I was half asleep listening to the spoiler cast. Oh, thank you. When you guys talked about Sam taking his rightful seat at Hornhill now that his father and... Uh, Dick and Tarly are dead, but he couldn't do that unless the Night's Watch is discontinued. What are the implications for the rest of our characters if the Night's Watch is no longer needed? Um, Man, I don't... I mean, one of the implications is there's going to be no way to commute a death sentence. <laughs> I know that I know that the economy of Moletown will suffer. The, yeah, the think of the ladies of Moletown before you do away <laughs> the Night's Watch. I, so... I don't know. I think there's another question that's later on. Maybe we can talk about this. I think that the Night's Watch is probably going to be ended, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of Dawn Guard hmm. type of organization that's like this purely altruistic military force of, of defense. Or I, I, I don't know, because like I, a purely altruistic military force for defense, that sounds, that sounds very People's Republic to me. Uh, well, the walls go... I mean, basically... If if we believe that the wall will crumble in the canon, then if the wall's gone, then not, the Night's Watch is not going to help you against the right. Snarks and Grumpkins beyond the wall. And right, it could be, be the that wall. the the Wildings will populate the gift, and mm-hmm. eventually, that seems a lock, yeah. Eventually, the one thing you can count on is that there won't be ever, everlasting peace. The, the 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 factions that have fought in Westeros will just continue to fight once once the uh-huh. other enemy is defeated. Yeah. So the neck becomes imp- more important. You you, you mm. know the the neck is not passable without the twins and the the twins oh, become the new wall which the 67th fray will inherit. Right. And so the, the frays are going powerful. to become all powerful. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what we need. That's the bi- that's the bittersweet. That's, That's bittersweet. Danny sits can on the Iron the Night Throne, King, but basically the Freys are now in charge. Night King's <laughs> defeated. Cersei's gone. John and Danny both sit on the Iron Throne jointly, and they're bouncing beautiful baby boys and girls on their knee. It's all <laughs> lovely, but the actual power in the the Seven Kingdoms are the Freys, and and that's what you that's what you know going forward. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Sean McGee. I can't get over and rewatch in season five how Jack and Hagar, noted genie, uh, ends up telling Arya that she has to stop being Arya and become no one when very clearly he said when they were in Westeros, a girl has a lot of names on her list and becoming a faceless man can help her cross those names off. Uh. Sean McGee, not familiar with military uh, organizations and their recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> 
States. Join the Navy, see the world, and and mop this base in South Carolina. Uh, I. I, yeah, I I think there's a little. I mean, bait and switch is kind of like uh, stock and trade in 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 that 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 uh, recruitment style, right? Well, yeah. And I I guess look, the question Jack and says a lot of things that make you scratch your head. Mm-hmm. So he seems to have in the books. He seems to have some special reverence for the red god Rolor. Um. And and the three lives are owed to the red god, seemingly because the three the three uh, victims were going to die in a fire. So yeah. if you think, okay, so if that's the case, then maybe the three names that Arya chooses would have to die by fire, but no, right? They don't. <laughs> they they die by stabbing. They die by falling from a wall. So I don't know if Jack and Hagar is the most trustworthy character. I mean, you could also play it the other way that like he in in this kind of like leans into Jack and sly smile when Arya finally essentially says, you know, fuck this, I'm out. Um, perhaps he knew that she was meant for greater things and the faceless men would just be a stepping stone along her journey. And mm. maybe I mean, I, you know, if, if you want to read more about what the agenda of the faceless men might be and their and all that philosophy and how. You know these the, this religion based around f- uh, freed slaves might f- play into the book. I mean, you'd have to probably buy our book because it's it's uh it's like thirty pages of discussion on that. But um, yeah, and in addition to that, look, look, I mean, the who who's that, whoever is running the House of Black and White, there's no reason to think that they're any less corrupt than any other religious institution, right? True. So. Let's not put too much stock in in what what, what Jack and promises. Um, Mary KC has her final piece of feedback. In the books, the position of 1,000th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch seems to hold some sort of significance. If I'm correct, John was the 998th Lord Commander, and Dolores Ed is now the 999th. The book setup implies the Night's Watch will continue in some form with a leader of importance. I don't recall any specific prophecy, though. What do you think this means for the show, especially now that the wall has fallen? Does this suggest some sort of new treaty with the others, and this process starts all over again? If the others were truly vanquished, what would the Night's Watch do? Could the Night's Watch be turned into a role of honor rather than the pack of murderers, rapists, and thieves that they find themselves uh, in today? And who will command them all? Um, so let's let's take this as a question first. Um, I think that the show and even the books have done a lot to kind of like it, it, this thousandth Lord Commander is almost like a Martin teaching us an exercise of man. When you're dealing with thousands of years of history, some of it pre-recorded, um, you get a lot of these just so stories that are not historical, like yeah, in the show. So- yeah, Sam, Sam comes. <laughs> yeah, he calls bullshit on all this for us. Right. Um, I think that's also in the books too. Uh, that he's like, you know, I've actually only been able to find like six hundred. Right. This thousand is just way. There's just, just not enough time. So that's one answer. That uh-huh. this is just George saying that you know you can't rely on thousand year old prophecies and ancient religions and and hokey hokey weaponry. What 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 other ways are there to interpret this? Well, I mean, the, Martin does like numerology, you know, right? He, you know, he, he uses it for some reason. He uses the number nineteen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, so, and then the Knights King is at the thirteenth Lord Commander, so there's right. lots of loaded loaded uh, uh, significance there. I mean, in the in the book, one thing that we talk about is John being an in, an interesting character because of his duality. Uh huh. So, not necessarily because he's the thousandth or the nineteen nine hundred ninety nine whatever, uh, but just simply because he's so. He's such a dual character deep down. He, you know, he's both wolf and human. He's both southerner and northerner. He's both Stark and not Stark. Right. Um, he, he, you know, he's both Wilding and member of the Night's Watch. So if you ever wanted a character that would not be able to sort of fight for one side, mm-hmm. which is exactly what the Night's Watch is supposed to do, it's right. Jon Snow. Um, he just doesn't see the world that way. He's he's conflicted so deep down inside. He's going to call bullshit on the Night's Watch when it needs uh-huh. when, when when that needs to be done, and eventually it, it kills him, according yeah. to the books. So um, I don't know if the numbers necessarily tell us that story as well as the fact that he's just a deeply divided, conflicted personality does. Right. I mean, there was definitely some talk. And still is of like you know John's nine hundred ninety eight. There's going to be someone's going to be nine ninety nine, and then John's going to be resurrected, and he'll be the thousandth and last Lord Commander, or you know that there'll be an interim Lord Commander, and then the thousandth is going to be Jamie Lannister, and that's how he's going to redeem himself. Or, but I I don't know. And that's so so getting onto the uh, the next question, which is if if the Night's Watch is going to remain which is uh or is going to transition to some other type of order that does essentially the same kind of role like a general protector of the realm mm-hmm. uh who would be uh, uh the candidates for lord commander mary suggested sam tarley um I, I i don't i don't think sam would make a great lord commander i have a suggestion uh-huh and i thought about this for a grand total of three seconds okay what about jorah Jorah. Jorah, oh, yeah. Jorah is clearly not going to get his heart's desire to marry Danny. It's not no. going to happen. No. And he will be repatriated, it seems to me. Uh-huh. You know, he'll his sins will be forgiven. Uh-huh. And he is uh he's a Mormont. So why not? That would be interesting. Um what do you think about Tormund? Because he does say we're the Night's Watch now. That's right. Yeah, and he's no, also he's, kinda... he's gonna he's gotta marry Brienne. <laughs> well, but maybe the new Night's Watch. They're just like you know what? It's kind of stupid that we can't marry. Uh, we're we're rethinking a lot of things. Uh, if nothing else, don't you want the wall or the shattered remains of the wall defended by the legendary offspring of Tormund and Brienne like right. wouldn't 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 you just wouldn't you sleep better knowing that our big tall red-headed and blonde children are oh. are the, the, they will be the wall they'll just stand okay. shoulder to shoulder along the border and you won't need the ice wall you'll have a 700 foot tall wall of solid flesh and bone okay so the most prominent uh person in King's Landing now is Cersei right uh-huh the most uh-huh. prominent person in the north is uh, Sansa. Uh-huh. The most prominent faceless man is Arya. Uh-huh. We know all men must die. Yeah. So why not Brienne being the, the, the new Lord Commander of the Night's Watch? There you go. There you go. Bingo. Uh, what do you, I, I think another interesting thing is Jamie, uh, because we like Jamie. 
Jamie, we think, is a fundamentally good guy. But Jamie's done a lot of shit that he really needs to answer for. Uh, and I, I don't know whether you'd say that did that. Maybe the uh, you know people when I say this, people always say, well, you know, he did have all of his children murdered, and he lost his arm, his sword arm, et cetera, et cetera. Like I don't uh-huh. know that that in the cosmic balance scales. Like how 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 do you, that? That's why it's hard to judge people. How do you judge a guy who saved King's Landing, who casually tried to murder a child to hide his incest? Uh, like how do you judge that? One easy way to do it is to have him take the black or like maybe it's now the white or whatever if it's the mm-hmm. dawn guard and then because because i what i like about jamie lannister being some sort of lord commander um is that that's the deal he originally took when he was a small boy like i'm gonna give up my lands and titles right. and for my prestige just to be a guardian of something greater than myself yes. and he did that was vilified by it and it let his heart grow dark maybe he could do it again and like do it right this time mm-hmm. i kind of like that yeah, that's not bad. Either that or he will have his throat cut, and he will die. Yes. One of those things is sure to happen. Uh, <laughs> so that's all of the feedback we have for this week. Oh, boy. Next week, Jim returns. We are going Woo-hoo! to do an extravaganza of we're going to do death pools, and like our, our, we're going to go with that percentages, who we think is going to live and die. We're going to talk about more trailer talk, more theory talk. We're going to try to get as much speculation. And again, we have not seen any spoilers. We've not seen any production spoilers. We've tried to keep ourselves virgin uh, as, as far as that goes. And so far, we've we've as uh, been pure as the driven snow, as the driven John Argar- Targaryen, Agarian snow. <laughs> and uh, if you'd like to send feedback for that podcast next week, it is going to be Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. You can discuss it on forums, forums.baldmove.com. If you've enjoyed Anthony and I's discussion today, please check out godsofthrones.com where you can find links to purchase our book, uh, Gods of Thrones Volume 1 and 2, as well as merch based on the fantastic art by uh, Chase Stone. Godsofthrones.com. Anthony, I'm sure we will have you back in this. My my intention is to have you back uh, in the weeks to come just to discuss some spoiler stuff and maybe some book uh, topics and things like that, if, if you're willing I am willing. I can't to wait. continue to promote the book that we all co-authored. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're gonna we're, we're gonna be back, and then again the week after that, Game of Thrones starts. Until then, I'm Aaron, and I'm Anthony. 